Well, hey, guys. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Probably a little better than I am. Uh, many of you know, for the past two weeks, Lisa and I were down in uh, Costa Rica for our 20th uh, wedding anniversary. And two weeks ago, yesterday, I contracted some sort of a virus or water bacteria or something, and it has had me laid up. This is about as much as I've been on my feet for the past two weeks. So um, I was planning on being back and starting a new series today called Chase the Lion. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Uh, but I just knew that I wasn't going to have the health to be able to uh, to to be with you today to to do that. So uh, the last two weeks, you guys have been going through a series while I was away called When Life Gives You Lemons. And so I thought, well, we'll just keep it going because life handed me some lemons, so we're going to make a little bit of lemonade here this morning. So uh, thankfully, when uh, I went to the doctors on Monday, it was right near where our conference office is at, and we were able to uh, stop in. Lisa stopped in to do some stuff, and Nate Buck happened to be in there for a meeting. And uh, Nate has graciously volunteered to come and uh, share God's word with us today. So can we uh, give Nate a big exponential welcome here this morning as he comes forward. Thank you so much, Nate, for uh, doing this. I know you had nothing prepared for this. Uh, But uh, I know you're going to, I know you've prepared hard this week and you're going to deliver a great word of of God to us here this morning. So have at it. Well, thank you, Gilbert. And, uh, you know, I realize that when we're over 40, it is a little harder to lose this, but you sure picked a difficult way to do it. <laughs> you sure picked a hard way to lose the, you know. <laughs> oh, so uh, fair warning, if you go to another country, be careful where you drink coffee from. <laughs> well, Gilbert, thank you so much. It's good to be here, and uh, just keep praying, because those of you who have fought physical things and viral things, you know, when you're just in the midst of it, you, you just need that constant encouragement. And so I encourage you as a body around Gilbert, just keep lifting him up because uh, God will support him. God will strengthen him, encourage him. But uh, it's essential that your prayers are there too, just to surround him and uh, be his be his front guard and his rear guard. I love the video that was up there uh, with fathers. You know, some of us have had great fathers. Some of us have had some not so great fathers. Some of us have had uh, fathers we didn't know, some of us had fathers that we wished we didn't know. But in one way or another, fathers have a huge impact on our life. And for those of us who have fathers, kind of like the grandpa in that video, sometimes we feel like there's no wiggle room with dad. Like, you know, you go to mom, because mom would be like, well, okay, sweetheart, maybe. You know, now maybe you had a tough mom. But in a lot of times you go to dad and it's like, oh, boom. I have a friend, C.J. Hitz. He's a speaker and writer. He's out in Colorado. And uh, he used to say, uh, we, we had some time where we had some ministry together, and he used to say, you know, the thing that I love about Jesus and the thing that unsettles me about Jesus is there's no wiggle room with Jesus. There's no, like when Jesus teaches something, it's in love and it's, it's, it's full of this compassion and this grace, but there's no wiggle room. And when Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to be salt. I, you know, I started hearing this. You know those Dos Equis commercials? <laughs> For those of you who pay attention to beer commercials, I don't, I don't drink, so it's funny to me that I pay attention to them. But you know the, 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 most, the most interesting men in the world? You know, and I don't often drink, but when I do, you know, and then and he always finishes with what? Stay. Yeah. So I hear Jesus saying, stay salty, my friends. You know, stay salty, my friends. 
I, I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't have that accent. But um, So in, in light of the where we're going to go today and talking about salt, I wanted to just kind of talk about what salt is. So I have some list here, and, and, and if, you, if you want to do a deeper dive into salt, I actually found out there's websites that are entirely about salt, like Salt 101, Salt in the Food Industry, Salt in Agri-Industry. I mean, it's everything. I thought, man, I never knew that so many people had done so much study on salt. There's, you know, so salt101.com, I believe, is one of the sites that I pulled up if you want to have fun with that. But here's just a few of them. I'm going to be a lot more gentle than the website was as far as information. Chemically, salt is, you can probably fill in the blank, sodium chloride. Good job. It's probably up there on behind me, isn't it? It's going to be real easy, Q&A. Economically, salt was the standard of payment in ancient times. Actually, the word salt comes from the Latin word for salary, because often you would work your whole day and you would be paid in salt. That's how valuable salt is. Commercially, it softens water. It conditions and de-ices roads, both in ancient times and now. And when added to manure, it creates a longer-lasting more efficient fuel source. So that's one that people, you know, I didn't know until I started doing research on salt. Did you know that they take salt and they actually, in many cultures, they mix it into manure, which we know what manure is, right? It's poo. And, it's, and in honor of Father's Day, we have to have some potty humor, okay? You know, just we got we to gotta go there because most of us, our dads took us there, right? So not to the potty, but to the potty humor. Although he probably did take us to the potty. But they add salt into the manure in order to, it chemically changes the manure, it reacts, and it turns something absolutely worthless and repulsive to us. Like, we don't want to play with that. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to be near it. It's bad enough we have to smell it spring and fall. But salt will turn it into fuel. And many cultures use it to cook their food, to heat their homes, all because salt was added to it. Agriculturally, among other things, it can reduce slugs, for those of you who have gardens, or are just sadistic and like to kill slugs. Culinarily, if that's a word, uh, cures meats and cheeses, preserves against mold and bacteria growth, and promotes flavor and helps with seasoning interactions. For those of you who like to watch MasterChef. Uh, nutritionally and biochemically, it's required, it's required for, the manufacture, for your body to manufacture blood, sweat, digestive juices, as well as a healthy nervous system function. It's required. Without salt, none of that would work in your body. And countries with the lowest salt consumption typically have shortest lifespans. Makes you wonder why we've been pressured for so long to have like low-sodium diets. You know, of course, in comparison, the American diet is like off the chart on salt. They, the flip side of that is you know, the more salt you eat, that's not the longer you live. It's not the fountain of youth. Relationally, it's a symbol for preserving integrity, speaking the truth, and establishing our priorities. And spiritually, as I've already said, Jesus uses it as a picture to define what it means to follow him. The, the qualities of salt exist perpetually in its nature. Okay? Salt, salt, by definition, is sodium chloride. Salt, by definition, has the capacity to do all these things that we listed and more. In its nature. It's the way it was made. And so when Jesus says to us that stay salty, my friends, 
That's a pretty significant statement, and it's one that he doesn't really intend to have a whole lot of wiggle room in. And I want to just jump into that to you today, because in Luke 14, uh, there's, there's a, a passage where he uses this kind of as a final statement. But before he gets there, he gives us a couple of pictures. So I want to jump into those pictures with you today, explore those a little bit, see what it might mean for you and the community as, as you guys continue on in, in the ministry that God has for you. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for today, and I thank you for this opportunity. And right now, we, we pray for Gilbert, that, Lord, you would continue to heal and restore his body, that, Lord, you would strengthen him from the innermost to the outermost, from deep within, that your spirit would work to renew his body, and the Lord, he would be strengthened again. For all the humor, Lord, we know it's not fun to lose weight and lose strength. And we pray, Father, that you would stand him upon his feet, that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower and strengthen him, restore him and renew him to the ministry and the purpose that you have for him here. For all of us together, Lord, this morning, speak as you will and help us to hear you in your word. And praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 14. Jesus has just gotten done teaching a number of different parables and speaking in a number of different settings. And he's really challenging those who are listening about what it means to live a life on mission with God. If you go through Luke chapter 13, you see him really just hammering away at that. When you come into 14, he really starts to zoom in on what it means to have a relationship with God. Remember, he's speaking to a culture that thinks they know God. He's speaking to a culture that thinks that they, they, they basically bottled, patented, and, and, and can sell you know, what, who God is and, and what he prescribes for the world. And Jesus begins to kind of unravel some of the doctrines that they had formed because they were more about humanity and human behavior than they were about God's character and what God really cared about. So when we come to to verse 25 in chapter 14, it's one of those moments where Jesus says, okay, let's get real about this. If we're talking about following God, here's what it takes to follow me. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Pause there for just a minute. That's a tough word. You know what in the Greek, the word for hate is hate. There's, there's like no, there's, there's no way around it. There's no way to reinterpret that, retranslate it, except to look at the context. It's one of those words that when you put it into the context of what he's saying, it takes on whatever meaning of the context. And so he's not talking about hating, meaning you despise and you treat them terribly, because that would be anti the character of Jesus, first of all, and anti the character of God. What he's doing is he's doing a comparison. And he's saying, if, you're, if your love for me, if you're following after me in comparison to your love for family, doesn't look like you hate your family in comparison to me, then it's, it's, you're not going to be able to be my follower. And, and notice, one of the ways we know that he's doing that is look at that final piece. And even their own life. Now Jesus isn't saying we go around and hate ourselves and beat ourselves with sticks and you know pallets to the head or whatever. 
he's giving us a picture so we understand that in order to follow God, in order to follow Jesus, it's complete. It's total abandon. Another way of saying it is uh, our loyalties determine our priorities. Jesus knows this. Our loyalties determine our priorities. Whatever we are loyal to, whatever has first loyalty in our lives and how we think and how we feel and, and way we consider decisions, whatever has first loyalty will have first priority. And so we'll make all of our decisions in line with whatever that priority is. So in classic no wiggle room, Jesus says, look, guys, let's just settle this. I'm either first priority or I'm not. And that starts with how we look at our relationships, even our own selves and our own lives. See, the hard part is, if we have anything else as a priority, anything else that we have a greater loyalty to than Jesus, then when we begin to make decisions, we present that priority. We show what that priority is by our actions. And so if we're not really fully devoted to God, then our actions will show that. And the problem is Jesus, in and through us, wants to show God's character and nature. And so if, if we're making ourselves available to him and he's first priority, then he is seen. If we're making decisions about how it benefits us, then what we're doing is we're establishing ourselves as most important. Really, he's getting at the heart of it. Either we believe we're God and we're most important, or our agendas or our expectations or the people around us that we care about are most important, or God is most important. Tough word. Really tough word. And I want to pause right there just to say, look, this is not one of those messages where you hear like, oh, you know, everybody, you got to do it, and I've already arrived. Uh-uh. You know, this is like every morning I wake up and remind myself and have to. And every morning, I probably failed in this one at least six times today already, just, you know, to be transparent. Who really is first in what we do and, and, and how we respond to things? So that's the first picture. Second picture, he says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first down, sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Have any of you ever driven out 81 towards Chambersburg and you see that tower off to the left? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I was out of state for you know, 15, 20 years out in Ohio church planting. And it's funny, I don't remember much of the story about the man. I know he was a fairly wealthy individual and he started the project and was unable to finish. That's about the gist of it. But I always remember that whenever I see the tower. Whenever I see that tower, I'm like, oh, a project unfinished. And I think of this verse. It's powerful. And Jesus uses that example on purpose to get at us and say, you know, look at it. Look at it. If, and, and he's trying to help us think about this in terms of our, the way we live our lives and what we say we believe. If we believe in following Jesus, and our life is going to show who Jesus is, to start out on that journey and then go, well, not quite what I thought I was signing up for. Then to the world around us, there's a picture. One that stands. It says, hey, they used to be a Christian. They used to be a Christ follower. They used to think Jesus was hot. Now they think Buddha's hot. Which, you know, I, I, it was a commentary of 
you know, but it doesn't matter what the priority is. If we don't count the cost of walking in that direction and we go unfinished, then our life begins to display not that God let us down, but that somewhere along the way we didn't take stock in what it would take to walk in that journey. Some of you maybe who are wrestling with this, you know, do I follow Jesus, do I not, or I've only just begun this journey, it's like, oh man, you know, I don't know, now I got all the weight of the pressure of people staring. It's not about just people staring at you. It's not about just people seeing it. It's about knowing that the choice you're going to make, the life you're going to live, is worth it. It's worth it, and it's worth finishing. If the man who had started that building felt it was worth finishing, he may not have abandoned it. He may have eventually found a way to finish it. He may have paused midstream, recounted the cost, and redrew the, the, the budget and the target and the objectives and the timelines to get it all done. Understand, a work that goes unfinished, we're ultimately saying it's not worth it. And so Jesus is challenging those who are hearing and saying, look, if you're going to walk, I mean, remember, this is a big crowd around him. If you're going to walk with me, it makes you understand it's worth it to finish. It's worth it to finish. And whatever you have to do to get distractions out of the way to draw near to me, do it because it's worth it. And we, do, we need to start that at the beginning of our journey with Jesus, and we need to do it continually every day, making sure we're getting those distractions out of the way. Just to, just to again, be very transparent, I can tell you when I am not doing that, when I am not counting the cost of what it's going to take, let's, just, let's use, this, use a daily example. So your weekly schedule. Uh, maybe some of you are really concerned about your health and exercise, and you know that as soon as you miss that one day of exercising, it turns into two and it turns into three, and then it turns into a week, and then you, you wake up one day the following week, and you're like, why do I feel like crud? Oh, I haven't exercised for like three weeks. No wonder I'm gaining weight, I feel stressed out, I'm tired, I can't get to the end of the workday without 16 cups of coffee. I mean, it's just, we feel that when we don't carve out that time. That's essentially part of what Jesus is saying, that if we're going to follow him, we have to make sure that we're setting that time, we're keeping that time, and keeping those distractions out of the way so we can walk with him. Because the net effect, if, if we don't do that, is we drift farther and farther and farther. And so then we say we are following him. But again, we start to look nothing like him. Because we don't know him anymore. So counting the cost. The first one, loyalties determine our priorities. Counting the cost is essential to follow through. We're not going to follow through if we're not really aware of what it takes and what we have to get out of the way in order to follow through. And then he gives us a third picture. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. Now pause there for just a second. It's real easy for us to think that that's just a a us-to-us example, like me to another person. That, oh, if I can't win the argument, then before I get into it, I should probably figure out that we just make nice. You know, let's just, let's not have conflict. No conflict, just make peace. If I don't think I can win the argument, you know, but if I can win the argument, 
by golly, let's just jump in with both feet and you know, because eventually I'm going to come out on top. It's easy to take Jesus' example and say, well, really, we should be a peaceable people. We shouldn't have conflict. We shouldn't struggle with things that we're, we're wrestling through and learning. It's not what he's saying. Because he turns the corner. Look at the next part of that verse. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. He takes this picture of human struggle. Kings against kings, nations against nations. A picture that we can recognize and we go, yeah, you know, if, if my country's going to war against another country, I'm going to make sure that we're going to win because obviously we don't want to have the whole country decimated and be ruled by somebody else. Let's just make peace rather than go to war. Nobody likes war. People die in war. Let's make peace. But his point isn't to say let's just avoid a, a conflict at all costs. Some, some things are worth wrestling through. Some things are worth some conflict. His point is to say, if you're going to take stock of what it means to follow God, you really should look at whether or not you have the resources to overcome God. Or you really should look at whether or not you have the resources to be God instead of God. Think about this in your own life. How many of you have the resources to affect God-like change everywhere you go? Not me. He uses, again, a pretty obvious picture in saying, you know what, we're not going to beat God. We're not going to beat God at being God. So why would we put ourselves in a position where we're going to war against him fight against him and try to overcome him or prove him wrong and yet let's be honest all of us at some point in our journey were probably there right whether it was in our teenage rebellion maybe it was in adulthood maybe it was in the midst of disappointment maybe it was in this of pain and hurt and trial at some point we we've thought like god how could you or you're not god because and we fill in the blank whatever that priority whatever that thing we cared about we lift it up, and then we say, I, I know better. Right? Is anybody, I mean, has anybody ever been there? And Jesus says, look, before we go to war with God, thinking that we can be God, let's take a moment and realize he's got, he's got the resources. He is who he says he is. And so, let's make peace. Surrender. God. Ultimately, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that true peace, true peace does not come apart from surrendering wholly to God. True peace doesn't happen apart from surrendering to God. And what he's encouraging us to do is not give everything away, because many people, you know, if you ever hear a sermon where the pastor says, um, you know, or or any speaker says, uh, you need to give it all away, give it all away. Give it, this is your seed. You know, odds are they're probably trying to get your money. Because the context of what Jesus is saying is not give it all away. He says give it up. The language is very clear. It means to take even the very substance of who you are and give it over. So yes, it's about possessions, but it's about all that you think you own, all that we feel we have possession of, including ourselves. Give it over. 
So three pictures that Jesus says, you know, we, we need to, our, our loyalties are going to determine our priorities. We need to count the cost if we're going to follow after him. And if we're going to have peace and salvation, if we're going to have this rescue, this relationship with God, it's going to come if we totally lay aside all of our, everything we own, everything that we are. He invites us to exchange our life for his life. Not keep our life and add him as a part of our portfolio. Exchange. Complete exchange. Because when we do that, then he can empower. Then he can take his nature in and through us and we begin to truly represent who God is. It's a hard word. It's a hard word. Because that's not me. On a daily basis, let's be honest. And I'll be the first one to put my hand up. That's not me. It's incredibly difficult to obey that word. And so on a daily basis, I, have, I need to ask myself, am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I really a follower of Jesus? And is what I'm about to do really going to show Jesus, or is it going to show me? Is it going to show my priority? Let's bring it home a little bit. At Exponential, you guys do a ton with trying to help people understand that they matter. You have you matter. And you go out and you work constantly, you work tirelessly in settings where most people won't go. Just to go and have a moment, not where you're preaching at people and not where you're beating them over the head with the Bible, but you're saying to them, you matter to God. You matter to God. And that work can be exhausting. That work can be tiring. And sometimes you can begin to be like, man, are we even making a difference? First, the first encouragement I want to give you is check your motives. You know, are you doing it because you want some sort of a payoff, that it's about you and it's about you know, how good you are, how good exponential is, or is it about God? Because you know, God doesn't worry about whether or not he's tired. God, God doesn't get exhausted. And God has more than enough power to refresh and renew us. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that that means you just keep going and going and going until you fall over dead. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if we draw near to him, we will get in the rhythm with him. We will do what we do in his power and in his strength. And there won't be any question as to whether or not we're making a difference. There won't be any question for people who meet us whether or not they matter. And in the midst of it, we'll realize that as we draw nearer to him and we exchange our life and our priorities for him, that we matter. See, it's, it, when Jesus doesn't give us wiggle room, there's normally some, some twisted little thing that, we're looking, that we just miss because we think, how can I do that? How can I give my life away? How can I live? Jesus, you're asking me to give my life away. What are you giving me? What's, what's in it for me? And Jesus is like, just, just, just trust me. Just trust me. And the net effect of what Jesus does when he brings us to those moments is not to just throw us out and throw us to the lions. What he's doing is inviting us to a moment where he says, you are going to realize something about how I love you, how I care about you, how I can resource you, how I can encourage you and strengthen you, refresh you, heal you. You're going to realize something greater than you've ever imagined if you'll just let go. Just trust me. And trust me fully.
The amazing thing about God and the amazing thing about Jesus is if we choose to follow him and we make him first, he makes sure we have everything we need to walk whatever road he puts us on. Exponential. As you follow God, he will make sure you have everything you need for the road he's put you on. So I want you to hear this morning, not a big challenge like, oh man, I could never be a follower of Jesus because it's so hard and Jesus doesn't leave wiggle room. I think it's much easier to just pretend to be a Christian. Well, it is. You know, but I want you to hear, if, if I do this, if I count the cost, if I lay it all aside, if I make him first priority, if I will make sure that I am completely surrendered to him, that he has full access to me, my heart, my possessions, everything, that I can trust. He's going to take care of me while I take care of what he's called me to. Now with fathers, that doesn't mean that you go off and you do ministry and you forget about your family. Parents. Okay, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean he's going to take care of your responsibilities for you. It means he'll take care of you while you take care of the responsibilities he's called you to. You understand that difference? Yes, no, yes. I see nods. Okay, I got some nods. Good. So I want to give you some just some quick phrases to help us think through this because you are going forward, Exponential. You are going back to the city. You are going back into situations where you're going to be trying to tell people that they matter. And in the midst of that, God is going to be going, and so do you. And so do you. That's why I have you here. You matter to me. Give me all of you, and then through you, I can show other people who I am and show them that they matter. And so I want to give you some quick phrases. The first one is, surrender to who? So a, you know, this could be something you do on a daily basis, weekly, but whatever is good for you. But think about it in this term. Who am I surrendered to? When I get up today, what it, what is, where's my loyalty lie? Is it about what I want to get done today? Is it because I'm a dad that you know, it's Father's Day, so today is all about me and what I want to get done? Or maybe it's your birthday? Or maybe you just had a really hard week? And this is your first day off? You're like, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to, you know. When you get up, loyalty. Where does your loyalty lie? So surrender to who? And think about that. Who am I surrendering to? Am I surrendering to myself, my own agenda, my own priorities, or am I surrendering to God? And then the next phrase I want to give you is do follows who? Do follows who? What you do and how you do it is going to, to be an expression of who you are surrendered to. And so it's another checkpoint. We can start with the mind and say, you know, who am I surrendered to? Who has my loyalty? Who has my priority? But then throughout the day, we can be checking our hands and our actions, right? And we can look and say, all right, what I'm doing today, is this representing God? Is this representing what God would have me do today? Is this showing that he is my first priority? Or is it about me? Just a question. So surrender to who? Do follows who? And then change the poo. We had to come back to potty humor remember that when God came to have relationship with us and he, he gives his Holy Spirit for those who follow Jesus, he gives his Holy Spirit to, to reside and work and in and through us, to empower us. We exchange that life with Jesus. We get Jesus' life. We get his power. We get his authority. And he works in and through us. And the purpose of that, in part, is not just to transform and change us, but to change the manure around us. 
He will send us into the manure piles of society. He will send us into the places that are repulsive and are places we'd rather not go. So that we in our presence and Him in His power through us will change the substance of that environment. Will change the substance of the people in that environment. To go from this mess and this thing we'd rather not deal with into what He intended. See, God, by His very nature, cannot be, uh, cannot be different. His, His, His love and His presence will change people when He encounters them. And if we exchange our life for His, He'll do the same through us wherever we go. So change the poo. Look at the circumstances you're in. Look at the situations you're in. Look at where you work. Look at where you live. Look at your neighborhood. Look at the neighborhood you go into when you go into the city. Look at the city. And I'm not saying just carelessly run into danger. And please don't do that. But look at the situations that you're in and understand you are there because God wants to change the very atmosphere of that place and of the people in that place. Not so that they look like you, but so that they become who God intends them to be. So surrender to who? Who has my loyalty, my priority? My actions are going to follow who I'm loyal to. Do follows who? Change the poo. Wherever I am, God's taken me there for a purpose. And His purpose is to change and transform in and through me. I don't do it in my own strength. He does through me. And the last one is rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And as you know, we we might laugh at that one, and be like, "Oh, of course we're going to rinse and repeat. We were playing in poo, you know." But but understand how important that is. If we don't pull back and get perspective, we'll stop asking surrender to who. We'll stop checking do follows who. We'll stop really thinking about changing the poo. We'll just feel like we're in it, and we'll forget to rinse and repeat, and eventually. We just become a mess. Jesus finishes this whole passage by saying, stay salty, my friends. Okay, he doesn't say it like that. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltness, it is no longer worthwhile for the road or for the manure pile. It just needs to be thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Exponential, I want to encourage you this morning. You are salt. By the very nature that you have relationship with God, you are salt. You are salt in this community. You are salt in this city. You are here for a purpose. And that because your heart and your passion is after God, you cannot become something other than salt. When he says loses its saltness or becomes tasteless, the language, the the Greek word that he uses there means it becomes foolishness or becomes emptiness. Salt can't do that. By its very nature. And if Jesus is using that picture for us as his followers, understand the tremendous confidence we can have as we go out into the world. If we're following him, we will not be worthless. We will not be foolish. It's not just a command that's meant to be heavy and challenging to us. It's 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 an encouragement to say, stay salty. Draw near to me and you will be. Salty. You will change the world around you because it will be God doing it in and through you. So would you take that as encouragement this morning? Would you take those four phrases and just kind of start asking yourself, 
especially over the, the next couple months as you go through summer. I know you're probably going to have a lot of activities planned and a lot of places that you're going to be and a lot of people that you're going to be telling you matter. Remember, you matter too. And as you draw near to God, you will see that everything that He's doing in and through you. Surrender to who? Do follows who? Change the poo. Rinse and repeat. Would you pray with me? Father, I believe that you, have, you still have tremendous plans out in front of Exponential. And for those who are here this morning, I imagine there's, just a, there's a whole spectrum of those who've been doing it for a while and may be tired. There are those who are still energized and still want to get back out there. And those who are going, I have no idea what all this means. And now some guy told me that I have to hate people and whatever. But Lord, I trust you by your Holy Spirit to sort all of that out in our hearts. And I believe, God, that you gave this message this morning as much for me as you did for Exponential, that we as the body of Christ, we as those who say we follow you, are meant to change the world everywhere we go because you want to do that through us. Would you help us, God, and encourage us to get up every morning, check our priorities, check our loyalties, draw near to you and let you lead us into what you've prepared for the day. And God, as we do that, I believe and I trust that you, you'll continue to establish exponential in and through Harrisburg. You'll continue to establish a tribe of people who understand they matter. Who understand you want relationship with them. And that as they begin to walk after you, they'll understand, Lord, there is no other priority that's worth our time. And worth our life. Than the God of the universe the one who loves us passionately and desperately and wants to give all power and authority so that others can be rescued, loved, cared for, and know you as Father. God, continue to encourage our hearts to stay salty. And we'll do our best, Lord, to keep our hearts clear, our minds clear, and keep coming after you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.